So if you would, please stand. We're going to read Luke 17, and we're going to read the second half of verse 3 and all of verse 4. So if you would, we'll put the words on screen. Let's read this together. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Thank you. Please be seated. Now there's something that you probably can relate with, and I'm just going to come out and say it. There's a little bit of disillusionment that can sometimes happen uh, maybe about the first six months to a year after you became a Christian. Because when we become a Christian, it is so common for us to think, well, now, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm forgiven, I, I love God, and, and I would think that as a result of all of that, that I would see less sin in my life, and I would see less sin in my relationships with other Christians. But what do we know? It's exactly the opposite of that, right? You become a Christian, and all of a sudden, it's like someone took a, a bucket of blaze orange paint and just dumped it on everything that has sin attached to it. And now you see it. You know, I mean, when, before you were a believer, you didn't see your sin. It was just like norm. Everyone's sinner. I'm a sinner. We just kind of do all this stuff, and it doesn't really stick out. But when you become a believer, all of a sudden, it does stick out. And it's kind of disillusioned because, like, I'm not even sure. Maybe I was better off before I knew that it was sin, before I saw it in myself and I saw it in others. But I want you to think about your Christian life in terms of a forest fire. Before you were a believer, you were a forest fire. Your sin consumed you, and it consumed everything in your path. But through the blood of Christ, through repentance, through the atoning blood of Christ, covering your sin, when you are forgiven, it's like that forest fire is quenched. Literally through the waters of baptism. It's just an amazing picture of a before and after in the life of one who is now saved. But here's what we know from the scripture is that though the forest fire is generally put out, not all of the fire is put out. And from time to time, the fire pops up, doesn't it? It pops up in the life of the believer, this thing called sin. It pops up in our marriages, in our workplace, in our Christian friendships, in the church. And what Jesus is gonna tell us today is when it pops up, you have to deal with it. You have to deal with it. Because if you don't deal with it, it will grow and it will burn. It'll burn you and it'll burn people, the impressionable people that are standing by. We have to deal with sin in the camp. So Jesus says, if your brother sins, and we know from the rest of, of this passage, it's really if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And that's about as far as we're going to get today. And I'll tell you why. Because many of you are conflict avoidance. And this whole thought of rebuking somebody is so far outside of your comfort zone, you can't even picture it. I'm married to a beautiful, wonderful Southern woman. And I love Christy with all my heart. But after over 20 plus years of being together, 19 years of being married, let me just tell you something. The environment that she was raised in had unspoken rules. And some of those unspoken rules are like this. Rebuking is rude. Rebuking is brash and impolite. Rebuking is looked upon as casting judgment upon others. Rebuking introduces conflict, and conflict is to be avoided at all costs. So instead of rebuking you to your face, most genteel southern people will simply wait until you're not in the room to rip you a new one, right? 
And I'm kind of kidding, I'm kind of not. And I'm not just picking on Southern people. A lot of us have conflict avoidance issues. And it's a really big deal. You know, if you don't deal with conflict, if you don't deal with somebody who sins against you, you're going to fall into one of two traps. You're going to end up being a passive-aggressive personality. So you poke and prod at people, but you never deal with the issue, right? Or you're going to have repression issues. You're going to have somebody who's sinning against you, and you just absorb it, and you absorb it, and you absorb it. And before long, you actually convince yourself that you're the problem. And see, that leads to all kinds of dysfunction. It's a, it's a very well-documented source of depression. It leads to all kinds of uh, unhealthy realities in your life. I actually think even cancer can be directed to this sense of repression, of not dealing with the sin, not dealing with the issue, and just internalizing all of that. It's very, very unhealthy. But even so, even knowing this, and many of you are like, yeah, I'm unhealthy, but I don't think I could ever actually confront somebody or rebuke somebody, especially a believer, a brother or sister in the faith, if they sinned against me. So we have to deal with this this morning. You see, according to God's word that we just read, Jesus clearly tells me that if a believer sins against me, I have to rebuke him. What does does that mean, rebuke someone? We don't even use that word very much, right? So let's just get into a little bit. There are two words in the Greek that the English translation regularly translates as rebuke, but they're very different words, and it's very important if you understand the different words because Jesus uses them both. The first word is a power word. It's a power word, and it it literally uh, means to command or order or scold. And the second word is more of an instructive word, and it means to to achieve clarity and understanding. That's the nature of these two words. Let Let me show you. In Luke 17, 3, Jesus uses this power word, epitomao. Everyone say that, epitomao. And now you can say that you speak Greek, right? Epitomao. And he tells us this when our brother sins against us, epitomao. Now, epitomao is the strong word. It's command, order, or scold. And just about every time Jesus rebukes somebody, this is his word, epitomao. Now, he rebukes demons, Right? Remember that? Luke 4, 35. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. When the demon had thrown the man down before them, he came out of him without having done him any harm. Then Jesus rebukes a fever. Remember Peter's mother-in-law in Luke 4, 39? And then he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. Immediately she got up and began to serve them. Then Jesus rebukes the wind in Luke 8, 24. And he woke up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. They ceased, and there was calm. And then finally, Jesus actually even rebukes people. Remember James and John when they get a harebrained idea of calling down fire from heaven to burn up a Samaritan village? And we read that, you know, James and John saw that this Samaritan village was not welcoming Jesus. They said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And Jesus turned and epitomaoed them. See, most of the time when Jesus is doing the rebuking, this word epitomao is in play because Jesus is one with authority. And there's power in his command. And when he commands, when he rebukes, it is to change the behavior. It is to, to bring about a change in what's happening in that situation, whether it's the fever, the wind, demons, or even his misfit disciples. And so when Jesus rebukes, the demons leave, the fever lifts, the wind settles, and the hot-headed disciples get duct tape put across their mouths. But here in Luke 17, Jesus actually gives us this word, epitomao, he says, you, as my disciples, as believers, when your brother sins against you, epotomao him. 
epitomao him. Which is to say, if your brother sins against you, command him to stop it. Confront the situation immediately in order to change the behavior. Now, Jesus is just introducing the big picture of Christian relationships. He's going to just tell us what has to happen. And he's going to get into deeper in Matthew 18. We'll see that in just a minute. But here's the Cliff Notes version of conflict management in Christian relationships. If your Christian brother or sister sins against you, do something about it. Confront it. Engage. Tell the person to stop that behavior. And confront the situation with enough strength and conviction to turn the person from their current path. Now, I know that many of you ladies are thinking, well, he's a man. He doesn't understand. And you know about your preacher. Well, you're a man. You don't understand, right? This is all idealistic, and it all sounds right, but it doesn't really work. Well, okay. Actually, I think Jesus knows what he's talking about. Let's think about the alternative. What's the alternative to rebuking our Christian brother or sister who's sinning against us? What's the alternative? Don't say anything, right? Just pretend that you don't see it. Just go on and and, and allow your Christian brother to engage in this act of of sinning against you. Allow your husband's sin to disrupt and divide your relationship. Go on, allow your pastor's sinful behavior to disillusion and corrupt the impressionable minds of the micron, the, the little ones, right? I mean, do you see how the first lesson and the second lesson are completely related? Let me show you. If your Christian brother or sister is sinning against you and you do nothing, you don't confront it, you don't rebuke that person, and you have impressionable eyes who are watching you, who is going to lead these impressionable ones to sin? Both of you. Because one of you is guilty of sin by commission and the other one is guilty of sin by omission. One of you is modeling blatant unfaithfulness to God's law. The other one is modeling blatant untruthfulness. And so Jesus is dealing with both in what he teaches right here. He says, in a Christian relationship, sin must be confronted. I have to tell you to stop it. If you sin against me as a believer, I have to confront it. I have to tell you that what you're doing is wrong in the eyes of God. Turn away from that behavior. Now, there's more to dealing with Christian conflict and people who sin against you than just saying, stop it, right? But that at least has to happen. Failure to engage a brother who has sinned against you is blatant disobedience to our Lord. And the result will definitely have damage and effects on the little ones, on the impressionable people. And, and that's going to come due to our cowardice and our conflict avoidance. So, Jesus says, when your brother sins against you, here's what to do. But thanks be to God, in Matthew 18, he then says, and here's how to do it. Let's turn to Matthew 18. If you have your Bibles, the Bible's there in front of you. In the pews, turn to Matthew 18, verses 15. And Jesus is going to get into the weeds a little bit more. He's not going to talk just about what has to happen. He's going to talk about how to go about it. Here we find instructions for how to rebuke our brothers and our sisters when they sin against us. If your brother sins against you, he says, Matthew 18, 15, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Now, in the Greek, that's really just like one word. (laughs) And, And it's the second word for rebuke, and it is elekso. Can you all say Alexo? No, no. Alexo. Oh, thank you very much. Much better. Alexo literally means to show, prove, or convince someone of their fault. Okay, it's a completely different meaning, isn't it? 
show, prove, or convince someone of the fault. In many places in the English Bible, this word is uh, just translated as rebuke. Sometimes it's convince. Sometimes it's reprove. Uh, 2 Timothy 4.2, well, actually, in 1 Timothy 5.20, here's an example. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke, elexo them in the presence of all, so that the rest may also stand in fear. And then in 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul actually uses epitomao and elexo in the same sense. When Paul writes, preach the word, be urgent in season, out of season, reprove, elexo, rebuke, epitomao, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. But here in Matthew 18, they don't use the word rebuke or convince or whatever. They actually use the definition of the word and put it right into the translation. And that's good, actually, because this is what Jesus is saying. When your brother sins against you, elexo him, go and show him, convince him, prove to him that his behavior is a sin. Now, is Jesus asking us to share our opinion when somebody irritates us? No, that's not what he said. Is he asking us to tell people how we feel? That's not actually what he said. Now, this is very, very important. Listen, to show a believer his sin is to refer to God's word as the authority by which we know what is true and what God said regarding his law and the breaking of his law. Now, your feelings matter, and you should absolutely go and share your feelings, how you're feeling with somebody, but remember this. Ladies, gentlemen, your feelings are not authoritative. Your, the- your feelings are bound to be very subjective. They can be based upon your culture. They can be based upon the way your mama raised you. They can be based upon you know, how much sleep you had or what you had for breakfast. Your feelings cannot be trusted. They should be expressed, but they are not authoritative. You can't confront sins unless you know what the Bible calls sin. But here's what Jesus just said. Once you know what the Bible calls sin, you cannot not confront sinful behavior in your brothers or your sisters in the faith. We must show people their sin by holding up their behavior and their attitudes to the word of God. Now, in case you're just now coming online with this message, let me just sum up what Jesus has said so far, okay? This is what Jesus said. If your Christian brother sins against you, you rebuke him, you take the initiative to do something, you engage, confront, and intervene with the intention of stopping that sinful behavior, and the way you go about it is like this. You go to the person who has sinned against you, and you show them, you tell them, you convince them, you prove to them based upon God's word that their behavior is sinful in the eyes of God, and it is damaging to your relationship. That is the word of the Lord. That is the word of the King of Kings. That is our master and our commander, our chief. God himself who said, you do this. If you are a follower of Jesus. Now, now, there's no exceptions for women or men or husbands or wives or daughters or mothers, employers, employees, pastors, parishioners, southern people or Yankees. It's all y'all. Every single believer has been called by Jesus Christ to live in this way. If your fellow Christian sins against you, doing nothing is not an option for you. You have a job to do. You must rebuke your brother with the intent to stop the behavior, and you must do so by privately addressing your brother with the intent of showing him that his behavior is a sin against God and damage to your relationship. You're like, Jim, it's like the seventh time you said that. Yes, it is. Repetition is the means by which we learn. And you've got to get this right. In your marriage, in your parenting, 
with your Christian coworkers. This is critically important to our witness. Now, here's what Christian rebuking does not mean. It does not mean embarrassing someone. It does not mean berating someone. It does not mean punishing someone. It does not mean yelling at someone or threatening someone or belittling someone. Christian rebuke has no place for some self-righteous attitude like you've never sinned. And it has no place for condemning a person. Christian rebuke is about confronting destructive behavior attitudes that the Bible calls sin in the hope of what? Gaining a brother. That's what it says. Matthew 18, verse 15, the second part of the verse. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. Now, let me just break that down for you. If you won't rebuke me, if you won't confront me when I've sinned against you, if you won't tell me the truth about me and our relationship, if you won't give me the opportunity to repent and to change my behavior for us to be reconciled, here's what Jesus just said. We're not brothers. We're not sisters. We're not in any kind of God-honoring, loving relationship. We're not even in an honest relationship. Jesus just said that confronting sin, rebuking, is a necessary and vital dimension to Christian brotherhood. And I would think that certainly includes Christian marriage, Christian parenting, Christian friendships, Christian coworkers in our interactions with Christians throughout the world. Because you know what? You know this is true. There's no true community in the church if sin remains untreated. There's no true intimacy in a marriage if we can't speak truth to one another and have this rebuke and repentance and forgiveness. Your marriage isn't going to last. Ask anybody in here. There's a lot of people in here who have been married. How many of you have been married over 50 years? Come on, raise your hand. doesn't mean you're old. just means you started young. <laughs> Ask anybody who's been married over 50 years. How did you do it? How did you survive? How did, how did you make your marriage work that long? They'll tell you. You tell the truth, and you repent, and you forgive, and you do it over and over and over again. You know, you're not my friend. We're not Christian friendship if, if you won't tell me the truth. But here's the even worse thing, and this is related to what we looked at last week. The world is going to look in upon the church. Impressionable minds are going to be watching us, and their eyes. What do you think is going to stick out? What's going to stick out is the way that we deal with conflict. What's going to stick out is the way that we tell the truth, even when it hurts, and that there's repentance and that there's forgiveness and reconciliation within the camp. I mean, that's what's going to stick out. That's what's going to really be a city on a hill. And see, what happens is when you don't tell the truth, when you're conflict avoidance, when you don't ever get into it because you're afraid of conflict, then the people who are watching you, the little ones, the micron, you see, they're going to be tempted to sin. I'll tell you, there's two reasons. One, they're going to be tempted because they're, they're not going to recognize sin because it's going on within the Christian community and nobody's talking about it. Or they're going to think that sin doesn't matter. In either way, they're going to be led to sin. And Jesus just said in Luke 17, 1, 3, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and for you to take a deep dive into the ocean than for you to be the one that leads the little one to sin. Do you think the way that Christians deal with conflict is important to Jesus? I think it's really important to Jesus. And I think it's hard. And I think it's awkward. It's difficult, but it is what sets us apart from the rest of the world. You see, true Christian community 
Listen, those of you who kind of snuck in here today and you have an opinion that, you know, the church is full of hypocrites, it absolutely is. And all other kinds of sinners. You see, true Christian community is not comprised of like people who don't ever sin and people who are perfect. You see, true Christian community is comprised of sinful people where those fires pop up, but they deal with it. And they tell the truth in love. And they repent and they forgive and they do it out of love for one another and out of obedience to the Lord that they serve. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll do what I command you to do. Within the context of this lesson today, here's what Jesus is saying. If you love me, you'll rebuke him. If you love me, you'll get into it with her. Here's what I know about you. If you call yourself a Christian and you're not willing to be obedient to this, you're not willing to call a sin a sin and get into it and risk the conflict and all the mess that comes with it, here's what I know is that you love the absence of conflict more than you love Jesus. You love the absence of conflict more than you love that person. You've grown so accustomed to being passive aggressive, it's become your identity. You'd have to change your whole style if you began to confront sin. But you're not loving the person, you're not loving Jesus. That's what he said. He says, if you love me, rebuke your brother when he sins against you. If you love me, don't allow this problem to remain unaddressed. I mean, if you love me, engage the problem and work to gain your brother or your sister. If you love me, don't give up on your believing spouse or your children or your coworker or your neighbor. If you love me, you go show them in private what their sin is doing. And if they listen to you, I mean, if they listen to you, if they stop and they turn around, if there's any sign of repentance, forgive them every time. You want to know why? Because forgiveness is the single greatest act of love and community possible, and we know this because Jesus Christ showed us on a cross. You see, the problem is here that if If there's no rebuke and there's no repentance, there can be no forgiveness. That's the biblical worldview. That's the Christian worldview. You say, well, I haven't really studied the Bible. Let me tell you what the Bible says. It says God made everything perfect. God is perfect. God's law is perfect. And then we just screwed it up. We messed up everything. And God had a plan to fix it. And he sends his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to fix what's broken. And so the action item is say you're sorry. Say you're sorry. Rebuke, repentance, forgiveness. It is the biblical narrative, and it is the prescribed behavior of all who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. The problem with conflict avoidance is you won't say you're sorry if nobody rebukes you. You just won't. You won't say you're sorry if you can't see your sin. You won't say you're sorry if you walk around believing everyone else is to blame. And listen, Jesus said in Luke eleven three. If you won't say you're sorry, if you won't repent, you will perish. That's the vertical. That's our relationship with God. But let me tell you something. If you won't rebuke and you won't repent and you won't say you're sorry and there's no forgiveness extended in our horizontal relationships between each other, it will perish too. Your marriage will perish. Your relationship with your kids will perish. Your relationship with your coworkers will perish. Our relationship in the church will perish. And our witness will be sunk. And we will be those who lead the little ones to sin. 
Next week, we'll dive in deeper what follows a good Christian rebuke, and that is repentance, forgiveness. We'll get into that a bit more. But now, listen, I have a mandate for you. I have an action item, and here it is. Rebuke one another. You know what? Hey, most pastors are going to say, go out there and love one another. It's the same thing. You can't tell me that you love me and not tell me the truth. All right? You got to get into it before you can get out of it. Yes, it's messy. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it actually puts the whole relationship up there and says, this might just be the end of it. But if you're both believers, you see, you're both subject to the same objective authority, which is the word of God. It's not about the way I feel. It's about what did God say? We're both accountable to that. Husbands and wives, coworkers, friends, small group members, whatever the case may be, we're both subject to the word of God. It calls us to accountability. It calls us to repentance. Every Christian community should be able to solve a problem interpersonally better than any other group of people in the world. So we have to trust God to actually engage, to do what he called us to do. Now, you're, you're about ready to walk out of here in despair. I can feel it. You're like, I can't. No, I just, I don't, you don't know me. I just can't. Okay, look, none of us can. You know, just about everything that Jesus told us to do, if we just kind of receive that in the flesh, we're like, I can't do that. I can't go to all the nations and talk about Jesus. I can't. There's so many things I can't do. You can't. But see, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Which means you've confessed your sin and received the blood of Christ, which means you've received the Holy Spirit, which means you can do all kinds of things you don't think you can do. So when your heart begins to flutter and that moment of confrontation is coming and you know that you need to tell the truth, you just pray up and you open your mouth and trust God. Trust God that the words are going to come out because this is what he told us to do. So pray hard and rebuke. If you're the one being rebuked, pray hard and repent. And then pray hard and forgive. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, it's a tough lesson for those of us who deal with conflict avoidance. And it's a dangerous lesson for those of us who revel in confrontation. Because in all respects, you are calling us to simply follow you and to be obedient. To tell the truth in love. To honor a person enough to pull them aside and engage them in a conversation when they sin against us for the hope of, of bringing them in, of us having a relationship, a brotherhood, a sisterhood, a deep and powerful and lasting abiding marriage. Lord, these are your instructions. I pray that you give your church the courage and the power and the conviction to exercise what you've commanded us to do. Lord, give us the courage to rebuke one another out of love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.